0: And we're back. Oh, I have missed you all. You know what? It's been since January 2022 since I put my last podcast out. And this podcast and I have gone through the ringer together. And I'm just so excited to finally get this episode out to you all. I have a couple people in my life that know that it's been really hard for me to get back into the swing of the podcast game. But I'm excited. I'm ready to jump both feet in, just go, messy action all the way, and let you guys in on these little gems that I have. I have another one that I've recorded recently that I'm excited to share as well, and we're just getting back into it, just taking messy action and seeing where it goes. So I'll keep it short, but I will say, please go leave a review. It does help. And please follow me if you haven't already on Instagram. If you like all this mindset, all these wonderful tools that I'm bringing to you, we want to get them out to other people. I am here to serve in that capacity and I can't do that if we don't work together in order to get this out there. So share this with a friend. If you think it will be helpful for them, share it with a family member, share it with anyone that you know that needs to hear what is said today on the podcast. So without further ado, I welcome you to the Triggered to Tranquil, episode 23 with Dr. Susan Campbell. You know, your book means so much to me. Mm. I found you through Dr. Uh, Aziz, uh, Mm -hmm. who wrote the book, Not Nice. And I listened to a podcast that you were on and uh, I immediately ran to buy your book. So I guess I'll just get started a little bit and introduce you to the listeners. This is Dr. Susan Campbell. And today we're gonna be talking about her book From Triggered to Tranquil, How Self-Compassion and Mindful Presence Can Transform Relationship Conflicts and Heal Childhood Wounds. You are a coach, a therapist, a a teacher. You hold workshops, I believe. But I'm curious, what got you into this work, this trigger work specifically?
1: Well, I've been aware of how couples trigger one another for a very long time. That's where I first became, became aware of this important notion that sometimes you hear Something that somebody says that may be an innocent comment, like, uh, why are you cooking those beans so long? Might, might have a little criticism in there, but you react to that as, as if some somebody just bit your head off. You know, I used to notice that when I was younger, <laughs> like my father. So um, I began studying this in the early days of my marriage counseling career. And then I began to see that we're all triggerable by people who are close to us. And so many people don't want to admit that they have a sensitivity about something that so that certain things that other people do feel unsafe and threatening when really this other person is a friend Sometimes the other person is doing something that most would threaten most of us, like, oh, I'm angry at you for, for um running my car out of oil when you borrowed my car. Right. You know? oh, and, you know, that's hard to hear, and so forth. But um what I was seeing really was how people beat up on themselves for what really is kind of a normal reaction. Okay, we call it an overreaction. And, and in many cases, it is an overreaction to the present stimulus. But still, we do that. Humans are wired to, in our middle brain, the amygdala area of the brain, we're wired to scan for danger. Just like primitive animals, we're scanning for a tiger that might jump out of the bush. What we're scanning for is a disconnection with somebody that we love or depend on. And so that's the threat. That's the threat that people are scanning for today. And any little thing like a tone of voice or a facial expression can be perceived as threatening. So I wanted to normalize the whole idea of triggering and bring the conversation more to the public. And so that's, that's really why I... Wrote the book, and I see that it's happening all over the place. I'm, I was reading the Huffington Post this morning, and it said Joe Manchin, no, no, senator from West Virginia. So many of us know who he is. Mm-hmm. Joe Manchin said the White House triggered his rejection. You no, know, they didn't say rejection fears, which is what I would have, or rejection trigger or button, but they used the word trigger, and You know, fear of rejection is one of the main things that trigger triggers people. So it's like it's like out there, and we all know this now. You know, we hear the phrase trigger warning on social media and so forth. But that was my my ultimate aim was to have people actually accept, yes, I get triggered, my partner gets triggered. When either of us are triggered, we may say things that we really don't mean because that's coming from our survival brain. It's not coming from our our heart or our higher brain that can empathize or realize that we've had we've had upsets before, but we always get through them.
0: Yes. So
1: that's that's where I'm coming from in putting the triggered work more on a title of a book.
0: Well, and we appreciate it because I think I've heard before I started doing any work on myself, I heard the word activated, you know, somebody was like, I'm activated, right? They were responding to somebody like, I'm activated. And I was like, that is a very curious word to use. But the term activation goes hand in hand with triggered. Would you say it's the same yes. word yeah. to use? Yeah. yeah. Synonymous. And if yes. you
1: prefer the word activated, that's with me.
0: Well, uh in your book you talk about uh, your five-step process. And this five-step process, I've used it in my coaching. I'm a coach mm-hmm. and I talk about I specialize in energy preservation. And I talk about awareness, boundaries and communication. And I start with the awareness portion because I believe it is the heart the most important for people to understand where they're coming from in order to identify the triggers that happen within our own system. So that way they can communicate what boundaries they need in order to get back into center and, and then how to communicate those boundaries. And so I believe that trigger work is definitely at the epicenter of awareness I use your five-step uh, process because I do believe it is the best process. <laughs> I've talked about it even outside of coaching with friends and family members. You know, if we are having a discussion about something, I'll talk to them about this process because I do believe it is so important to have that self-awareness chip to understand what's going on. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of running through those five steps and maybe how you came up with the five-step process.
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll name the five steps and then I'll go into, into them. Perfect. So um, first step, and, and we call this the five steps of trigger work or the five steps of trigger mastery. And when I say mastery, I don't mean um, you've com- completely controlled all your triggers. I mean, you know how to be with upsets and resolve them quickly because the whole aim of trigger work is to process your emotional reactions more efficiently and compassionately. So the first step is acceptance and then knowing your trigger signature, then pausing to self-regulate, then being with sensations and emotions, and then finally repair. So I'll go through, I'll go through those. Acceptance was my main motivation for writing this book. As I was saying, so many people beat up on themselves and as a result, can't admit that they've been triggered. So they cover it up and don't have important conversations that they need to have. Like, hey, when you you were 30 minutes late for our lunch appointment, I got triggered or I was upset or I was hurt. You know, being able to have important conversations that sometimes people push away. So acceptance allows that acceptance allows me to realize that what my partner, that my partner gets triggered too. It's not just me and that my partner will get over it. If we know the rest of these steps that we can get through these things. So acceptance is basically like understanding the brain chemistry and the, the for example, once your survival alarm goes ding, 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 alerting you to some kind of danger, some kind of interpersonal rift, you, I just logically let people know that everybody's got the same brain, you guys, we don't have to be ashamed of it, we're human, <laughs> And we all have to contend with this overreactive, hypervigilant part of the brain. And we can tone down the hypervigilance through practice. You really can rewire your brain by doing these practices because you are strengthening the part, the two parts of the connection between the two important parts of the brain, the part that reacts. And then the prefrontal cortex, which is the part that says, "Okay, remember, we've been through this before. You know what to do. You know, you know, to pause, pause the conversation and don't keep talking. You know, that's one of the later steps. So acceptance is really about, okay, I'm triggered. Now what? Rather than blaming, because so many of us, especially if we're married or in some kind of intimate relationship, You've got this ready person to just go. If he wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have said this. You know, that's a form of blaming. And and we won't learn anything, and we won't heal anything as long as we're putting the responsibility outside of ourselves. So, well, you no. Know, so that's the that's the hard pill to swallow <laughs> for many people, even sophisticated. People like like us. I train coaches to to do trigger work, and I'll I'll ask these fairly advanced people, how many people understand all this and that we you know we all have triggers, but you still feel some shame coming up when you lose it or when you notice you got triggered, and everyone raises their hand, you know, because we're 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 still not all the way there To really being relaxed about, okay, I had a trigger reaction. I've got some good skills for repairing that because we're we're still working on those, and that's what this book is about. If you know that you have skills for both learning from the incident and repairing it—that is, repairing any uh, damage to your bond—then you will take the whole trigger process a lot more lightly. So. So all of this stuff is is in the first chapter on acceptance and, and a lot more. There's quizzes and um, case examples that I think people can identify with, because I try to take people through an actual experience of, oh, yeah, when this happened, this is what was going on in me. And this is what my mind thought. no. Why didn't he say it this way? My gosh! That's yeah, that's the I first mean... thing that goes on in your mind, and if that's going on in your mind, you you know you're triggered, and so just value the self awareness that you just achieved because this trigger work is all all about self awareness and noticing your hidden motives that you didn't know were motivating you,
0: which is so hard. <laughs> it's hard.
1: It because is. Those motives are fe- of some kind of fear.
0: Yeah. So,
1: Rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of being invisible or not important. So, you know, I help people go through all that and look at what the deeper uh, underlying fears are that that motivate your reactions because this brings us to step two because we all have a unique trigger signature. What that means is we all have a typical set of things that t- tend to trigger us. Like some some of us are triggered more by somebody moving away. You know, hey, where'd he go? Some of us are by people coming too close and getting in our business. So knowing that sort of thing, knowing what your mind tends to do, like why didn't he? Or I'm not enough, I can never get it right. So there's some people whose mind story points the finger outward. Some people point the finger inward. I'm bad or wrong.
0: This sounds a lot, sorry to interrupt, but uh, a lot like the theory of attachment because I just did a podcast uh, not too long ago about that as well. And it sounds like you could really kind of identify some of those. Did they kind of correlate there? Yeah.
1: Yes. In fact, I talk about the different attachment styles and sort of the typical, no, the typical way each attachment style uh, a, a, approaches a threatening situation and how they interpret it, and that's very helpful for partners, like intimate partners, because very often, I and a more avoidant, like I don't want, I, you know, I don't want to talk about it right now, type person is paired up with a a more anxious or preoccupied, which is, hey, we got to get this settled right now, <laughs> uh, no pausing, and pause is the third. Third step. And pausing is very, very hard for the for the preoccupied person or the person who harbors fears of abandonment and rejection and those kinds of things. As for some of us, talking serves connection. And for others of us, you know, talking is overwhelming to me when I'm triggered. Mm-hmm. And so if 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 your partner, listeners, is one of these people that gets overwhelmed by you trying to talk or moves, you know, moves away. Maybe you don't realize that they're getting overwhelmed. You just think they're cold and uncaring. But typically it's some kind of overwhelm in their nervous system, but they don't know how to communicate that to you because they're triggered. They say, you know, I got to get out of here. or I need a break or you know, I'm leaving. And that can be, of course, very threatening. So the pause step is partners, particularly, should have a pause agreement where you actually make up a, a word that's going to be like your safe word. Most people use the word pause, some people say time out, some people say watermelon <laughs> phrases. Uh, or some some word that'll make them laugh, like what yeah. you. Yeah. You know? uh, but pause sends, tends to work the best because it signifies that this is not the end of the discussion. We're just taking a break to tend to our own nervous systems because we're each feeling unsafe right now. See, that's what the trigger reaction is. It's basically saying, "I don't feel safe," and when I can't, when I don't feel safe, I can't get the words out that are from my heart and from my vulnerable self that needs connection i'm speaking more from my fear self that fears the worst case scenario so that happens to you know all of us at times because we have that same brain and so we learn to actually breathe get grounded in various ways do other things so i help people remember what are the things you do that bring calmness to your nervous system but um, some breathing practices are are really almost universally good except for people who really have no uh, body awareness and, and so then you know there might there, there are other practices that i um, outline in the book but getting back into your body and your connecting with your breath is in for most people the best way to just get back into, okay, at least I know I can calm myself. That didn't resolve our issue, but it it got me in a place where now I can think straight. So pausing, basically pausing to self-regulate and self-regulation is something that not everybody learns. Every, everyone should learn how to do this, every adult. If you're going to be a responsible human being and not just pop off at people throughout your life, you really do need to learn some way of regulating your nervous system when it's overamped. Oh, they should be teaching that to kids in school. <laughs> they do in some schools. Oh, my little my little niece uh, said mindfulness class. Oh, we we're gonna have mindfulness class, and I I love that. And um, and she's nine, and so excellent. She she's telling me about what they teach there and stuff. And they teach breath practices, and we need more of that. Any of you school teachers out there, you really can probably bring this into any class you're teaching. Our world so sorely needs that.
0: More than ever.
1: Yeah. So that's called self-regulation. We also, especially with people who are close to us, there's co-regulation, which is helping another person calm down. So sometimes if you know your partner's trigger signature, like you can see, okay, my partner starts repeating herself when she's triggered. (laughs) Okay, so... Before you get triggered, although you're probably going to start getting triggered yourself, then. but if you could be a little <laughs> more mindful and, go, oh, mm, looks like she's getting triggered, maybe I could just say, okay, I'm here. You know, put your hand on her arm or some non-threatening place and just, I'm here. And for some people, you learn that, wow, that's like a pause. Yeah. So self-regulation You've always got that, no matter what state your partner's in. Co-regulation it requires a little a a little more mindfulness on both.
0: Ooh, yeah, and I imagine it would be great for the preoccupied uh, individual coming in if if the non-preoccupied could understand what the preoccupied is coming in with, yes, and help that co-regulation. That is like that
1: would probably shoot.
0: The preoccupied to the moon with happiness <laughs>
1: when it's been done, you know. Because I'll I'll help couples do that in my sessions, and then they learn. Oh, that had pretty good results. You Usually, don't don't expect too much at first. In I mean, all of these tools do work, but it's like learning a new, very difficult skill. But once you learn it, it doesn't really take that long. It mostly uh, inhibits the learning. is the the resistance to having to do it. You know, I shouldn't have to do that. It goes back to the acceptance piece. Mm -hmm. But if you just like, as you read through the book, it's actually secretly doing that for you. Read the book, do the exercises, just because as you read them, you're doing them. And then, oh, I feel differently. Maybe I can do this because I did it. I just did it. Maybe I can go, you know, go try that with my child. Because there's chapters, as you know, uh, chapters on what if you get triggered with your children. They are so incredible. The fact that you put that part two into, and I
0: said, she has something for everything, every situation, (laughs) every relationship, any person you can come across. And what struck me, and I had a question about the group, The group one, because I think a lot of people going back to work are being Mm -hmm. put in situations where they're not used to being in the group environment. And I'm curious about this. If you're a third party Mm -hmm. watching someone get triggered Mm -hmm. by someone and you can see it from an outside perspective. Mm-hmm. What would your advice be to be that third party and to see it and to want to help or do something to kind of acknowledge what's happening, but without making it completely
1: awkward? Yeah, yeah. Um, in the in the chapter on what to do with triggering in groups, I give like, okay, here's an incident, here's an incident, here's an incident, and here's a few different things you could do. So mm-hmm. the one, the incident that you give, uh, one of the things you could do is show caring and empathy for the person like not, not by pointing to them, but saying, you know, I feel a little bit a little bit like Sharon feels. And I just want to acknowledge that here. This something that connects, brings her back into the group. It, I mean that's we didn't give a specific, but some kind of showing of connection for this person who's just kind of left the present moment. Another thing is, you can do pause. I mean, a a facilitator can um, suggest that if any two people are getting into an argument or if there's a lot of contention in the room, I'd like to suggest that I say the word pause and we all take five slow conscious breaths together. Because even when only two people on the other side of the room are upset, it affects everybody's nervous system and affects our ability to move on. So you know, So a facilitator might, who's somebody who's experienced a little bit, at least with the, the tools that I'm talking about, you can do that and you can lead that and uh, people will be grateful because they didn't know they needed it. And that
0: energy is felt through... You, you feel the energy shift in the room, and everybody's kind of like, ah. Even in yeah. Fa- family, know what to
1: do. It's yeah. Like the elephant in the room, <laughs> and um, and then some facilitators, and depends on the type of group, will say anybody who senses that we're going too fast or things are getting contentious or there's hidden agendas, just just say pause, and we don't even have to ask why. But, you know, because if one person senses something, there's high probability that there's more than one uncomfortable person in the room, but they just weren't the kind that speak up about things.
0: Oh, such acknowledgement. So powerful. Mm -hmm. So powerful. Thank you. So I I got lost on that sidetrack of of the power. Yeah. So after pausing, then
1: where do we go? Well, it's like, what do you do during your pause? besides calming your nervous system. And so then the next step is being with sensations and emotions. Mm. So once you calm, then you can bring back the moment when somebody said something in the meeting, let's say you're, you're home now, because sometimes you don't do the being with right when you're agitated in the face of the other person. So let's say you got triggered in a meeting, uh, you got through it okay and now you're home you're in a safe place and you remember the feeling when that person cut you off and you didn't get to finish so you just sit sit and bring back the memory as if it can be as if you're kind of watching a movie you're replaying the video because you need to get a little bit of a witness perspective to really be able to to do this well and many of us have no idea what this idea of witness is. People who are meditators, um, that sort of thing, people who do various disciplines, they understand what mindfulness means because it really, it really means you're, you're able to see yourself. are able to see yourself while you're doing stuff. But when you're triggered, you're not really able to see, see yourself very well while you're doing it, but you bring back the doing it with the witness activated, you can put it on a screen. I've got several different techniques for developing a little a little more spaciousness while still allowing some feeling there. It's like, oh, I can feel what I was feeling then. And so you bring back the feeling, and I teach people how to not overwhelm themselves with too much feeling, but bring back some of the feeling and then see if you can view that part of yourself as a tender part. It's like, that's, that's the part of you that needs love, that that needs understanding and empathy. So like, Oh, it's almost like you're, you're you're saying to yourself, I can see why that would hurt you Hmm. that you got cut off and you were so passionate and excited. And then you didn't get to finish, you know, that's a real ouch. So you just, you don't give a big speech to yourself, but you're, with yourself, with that kind of empathy. And that is very healing. It's like developing a supportive, compassionate relationship to oneself. Rather than saying, grow up, you know, you didn't need to get oh upset about that. That happens to everybody. Those may be factual statements, but th- those are never helpful. In, uh, how to treat yourself after a trigger reaction? Is this where the
0: self parenting comes in, where you yes. really reach in? Mm.
1: Yeah, and I, I I talk about that we all have within us the image of a what a good mother feels like. It's like a good mother holding or being with a much loved child. Like imagine that tender part of yourself as a as a child, and I often call it. Learning to activate the good mother archetype, which is a part of all humans in the sense that we all know what feels good and what doesn't feel good in terms of what we like to receive. So no matter what kind of parenting you had, even if if you didn't have much parenting at all or it was abusive, you still have the image or the archetype of what it feels like to receive good, genuine love. And you know how to give that, you know? And so there's there's an exercise that I call compassionate self-inquiry. That is what I think people should do after every trigger reaction. And you can learn to do that in in like less than a minute. You won't always be able to do it like like in the business meeting. You might have to wait and do it when you're in a safe place, like later on that day or something.
0: I had a guest say this on the podcast. She said, uh, curiosity and judgment can't live in the same space. And so that compassionate inquiry piece, mm-hmm. self-compassionate inquiry, it's like mm-hmm. the, the gift that keeps on giving to yeah. yourself.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned judgment and, you know, we most of us have that side of ourselves too. And so I have a section in there about, well, what if you can't be compassionate to yourself? And there is a way to just work with where you're at, because it can be a process learning how to empathize with that child on the screen. But there are there are smaller steps that uh, that I help people take to get to compassion eventually. And the final step is repair. Yes, and, and that's basically how to make up after a fight or a misunderstanding. But that's not just for spouses that's certainly for parents and children, it may not always be appropriate for every type of relationship because to do repair, you need a prior agreement or at least an understanding that, yeah, we're probably going to have these trigger reactions and we're committed to pausing, to self-calming, to doing an inner inquiry and to coming back and repair. So we're we're kind of committed to this practice and repair is a very structured process where I give people fill in the blank sheets. You know, I'd like to repair what happened when I, when I said, you're all, you know, you're always upset. (laughs) Somebody comes in, you know, I'm kind of upset with, and then you're always, always upset. upset. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to repair (laughs) that. Remark I made. So you start out by naming, you know, your own trigger reaction. So that's very calming for the other person because you're not blaming them. They're not, I'd like to repair what happened when, when, when you were badgering me again for the twentieth time. You know, that is not reparative. You talk about your own re- reaction, and then your partner starts to relax and. Course, you've both done some relaxing before um, you get to repair. Mm -hmm. The agreement really is we will not start that repair process until both people have their nervous systems calm. Makes sense. Yeah. So, anyway, there's a script that helps people stay on their own side of the net, take responsibility for their own feelings and reactions. And then at the end of the script, it starts, it, it uh reveals a vulnerable need, like, I need your help to feel like I am important to you, or I need your help to feel like my voice matters. So we've, and we, there's certain little fears that we can name and get to know, that's part of the trigger signature, like, what is the fear that I'm trying to reassure or that I'm asking for reassurance about, and so you basically you have one or two basic fears. So every time I do a repair, it's I need your help to feel that my voice matters and and then to get some kind of warmth and reassurance. So there's there's a response to that, that I script out for people, too. Oh, so that's
0: so five steps. Great work. And talking about repair, there's, it's a lot of, it sounds like a lot of accountability in there Mm -hmm. and you have a story in your book about how your father, you know, you would, something would happen, he would blow up, but then he would come in and apologize. Yeah. And in the book you mentioned, it got you teared up to talk about it, but you were so grateful for that.
1: Yeah. My father really didn't blame me. He owned responsibility for the fact that he was kind of short-tempered. And in those days, instead of saying, I got triggered, he'd say, I lost my temper. And that worked. That worked just fine. If you have some kind of language that helps you take responsibility for yourself. And so I learned a lot about emotional intelligence from my own parents, and they obviously weren't perfect because, you know, my father would pop off in anger. But when you can repair like that, it's almost even better than if it didn't happen. Right. I I mean it. I mean, because you get vulnerable together. He felt sad. I felt his heart. And that's the way repair is supposed to be.
0: There's such a humanness in seeing your parent do Mm -hmm. that because Mm -hmm. it almost feels as if you are seen for the situation that's happened as well. Yeah. Exactly. As a chi- which as a child, it's like, we're like, are we even here? <laughs> like, it's hard. Yes. Yeah. So to hear that an adult parent can say, oof, want to take responsibility here and apologize for what happened. That is like, it's got to be empowering for a child.
1: Yeah. If you're a parent and you're just hoping the kid will forget about it, don't do that.
0: No. You
1: no. Know? Or, or if you're thinking, well, I did it. And I, can, you know, with anybody at any age, this is not just for parents. I did it. I can't take it back. That's wrong. You can take it back. Most most things can be taken back. I mean, sure, if you, you know, chop somebody's foot off. No, but um, that's not what we're talking about here. Right. Right. Emotional reactivity can 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 be. It's not even taking it back so much as it's deepening. The context that says we can talk about this. And, and I didn't really mean that, but I did mean something. And this deeper heartfelt thing is what I meant to say. Yeah. So you get a chance to go back and say that. And that's why triggers are actually our friend. Oh, absolutely. They they, they show us deeper layers of ourselves and, and almost like force us to reveal that to, to our loved ones, which creates deeper intimacy.
0: I completely agree. And I think that that, it's such, that story really it hit my heart so much when I read that because, uh, you know, as a parent myself, I have two daughters and I listen to the way that they go back and forth and I take accountability for if I mess up, I say, I'm sorry, I should not have done that. I was coming from this space. I was feeling this and it's very helpful for them.
1: But oh, I noticed
0: cool. now the back and forth between the two of them is, you know, if one person does something and the other one isn't ready for an apology, has that, right? Yeah. Because one of them's like, I need to apologize. And the other was like, I'm really not ready mm-hmm. yet. And now they're getting to that stage where they're like, oh, they're asking each other, can I, you know, I'd like to apologize. Are you ready? <laughs>
1: and it's just like, <laughs> that's in the book. They didn't even read the book, but that's in there too because both people have to be ready so you're your, your, your kids are getting a jump start on life there
0: it's i mean i have to say getting in the coaching field has absolutely helped and been one of the the greatest gifts for myself and for for them mm-hmm. just in terms of growing and having that growth mindset so it's very very helpful but this book this book i cannot go on and on any more about it because if anybody is uh, looking for a book to um, work on their triggers and figure out what's going on, uh, just, this is the one to start with, I would say, for if you're really trying to get invested in figuring out that part of it, because this, the process is, like you said, it, it's there and it'll take some work, but the more, even reading about it, and this happened in my own life, yeah. after reading the book, I had a moment, I was triggered and I did, I went through all the steps and even just thinking about it brought me back to the awareness, Mm. which helped me get all the way to accountability so fast. Whereas before I would have stood in it for weeks, you know, just how am I going to, and that's just a disservice to everybody,
1: yeah, well we waste our time. Waste you know? of time. We waste yeah. of time in the fog when I give people en- enough conceptual tools and labels and won't help you find your own unique labels, but labels can can help you notice something when ordinarily it was fog. Oh yeah, that feels the same as what I called fear of rejection last time. Duh it's always fear of rejection. Yes. That sort of thing. It's like a reference catalog. Yeah. And then when you have the language, it helps you take responsibility more quickly. And I don't advocate just, you know, just mouthing words without having an experience. But um, if you do these practices, you will have an experience along with what you're saying no no question
0: do you practice in your therapy do you use somatic experiencing most yeah. of the time yes yeah
1: yeah and really the um the compassionate self inquiry is very somatic based and sometimes we just stay with the body sensations and we you know we we don't ever have to come up with specific childhood memories but childhood memories often just pop up I mean, I wrote this book based on what I learned from clients over 55 years of doing what I do with people. People do seem to pop up with important childhood memories that had been forgotten or painful things that hadn't been fully processed. So the energy is kind of stuck, but you don't need memories. See, that's what somatic experience teaches us. You don't need specific memories, and you know, like Oh, you know, my father said this and then my mother did that. You don't need all that. And it, it, it may be your path to healing, but it may not it may be more just following the body sensations and holding those with compassion.
0: Absolutely. There, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was somebody explaining that when you are so passionately ac- active like you feel passionately about something and you want you to go after it but then you end up becoming whatever it was that mm-hmm. yeah. that you are going after because you are so adamant about making it changed or doing that and then it becomes the, the message gets lost
1: yeah
0: because you your brain has shifted into a different space completely
1: yeah, you, you can't solve a problem at the level that the problem was created. Right. So you can't really, you fight fire with fire. Well, you know, that actually doesn't work. You have to get above the fire and go, whoa, we've got a difference here. And I, I wanna I, I want to use this difference for for learning how to resolve differences. You know, you idiot, you know. I mean, some of us, you know, can't help ourselves sometimes. But yeah. Bring it back down and go. Okay, that fire with fire is not going to solve anything.
0: Well, thank you so much. And where can everyone find you? I know that you have the outdoor workshops that will be. Yeah, yeah. Yes,
1: in I do, May. I only do workshops. I do a two-day workshop once a year now because. I'm, once a year, so it's probably full. i have you know. People have to come to Susancampbell.com, my website, and right on the homepage just below the main picture. Subscribe to my newsletter and then you'll get announcements for my free coaching call and for different podcasts like this one. Excellent. There's There's always a bunch of free things, as well as a couple of coach training things that I do and my and my yearly workshop. So I'm I'm not selling a whole lot these days, you know. I'm you know, I'm okay in terms of sales, but I do want to have influence.
0: Now you're, you're doing this work and we're so thankful for it. Um, I I feel like I have a thousand more questions. I, I don't want it to end at all. I know I don't want, i want to be mindful of your time. We have seven minutes left, but I think if I can ask you one more question, would you be okay with that? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. I had a question about boundaries Mm-hmm. and your thoughts, because I'm curious about other people and what they think about boundaries, because boundaries can be very triggering for people that are, if somebody comes in and says, I need a boundary, and the other person's like, they get triggered because, like, you need a boundary from me, you know, like, or...
1: This goes back to attachment style. Yes, so it I'm does. does. <laughs> Finish your question first. Yeah.
0: How could we explain if we're trying to create a boundary for ourselves, because this is something that we're experiencing and we're working on. Mm-hmm. This is nothing to do with the other person, but how do we explain to the others that the boundary is for us to kind of alleviate that trigger for them?
1: Well, first of all, you know, everyone needs boundaries and you need to know what what they are. So what a what a boundary basically means, let me define it. It's Uh, I mean, and then there are are degrees of boundaries, right? Things you absolutely will not tolerate. I've done exercises and workshops, you know, okay, first write down, you know, the outer, you know, oh, no, no, I guess the close in things, the things Mm -hmm. you absolutely will not tolerate, then the things that you really want to avoid. And and then, okay, I'm annoyed, I'm triggered by it, but I don't expect anybody to, you know, bend to my will, type of thing. So, do a little bit of assessment of where you're at on the really important things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then why? You know, why is that important? And and does it also overlap with one of your triggers? For for example, uh, don't co- don't come up behind me. I mean, this would be a PTSD thing. You know, don't come up behind me and just quickly grab me. Um, and you know that that that's a trigger of old trauma uh, from something that happened to you physically in most cases. So, you know, it helps to know where that's coming from and really affirm your right to have whatever boundaries you have. And in, in the chapter on friends in, in the Triggered to Tranquil book, I talk about how sometimes you try to communicate your boundaries to friends like, you know i've i've had sexual abuse and you just keep talking about your outrageous sex life with me and i don't want to hear it you just you know keep that for other friends and and then the person just keeps violating that boundary that maybe they didn't even fully agree to but you've at least made the request several times um and then sometimes it's just too re-traumatizing to you mm-hmm. and you have to maybe give them one last chance, but let them know, you know, I, I I can't be this close of a friend with you. You know, we can only do these things or I, I can't be your friend anymore. But sometimes you do have to end relationships if you've attempted to communicate a boundary and it just sometimes the other person just has no um, self-control in certain areas. You know, because of their wounding. Um, so it's okay if a boundary is also a trigger or or one of your trauma responses. Mm-hmm. But it, be, it would help to know that because I think it adds a little bit of humility to your assertion of, you know, I'm right to have this boundary and who wouldn't have this boundary. The more you communicate your boundaries in a righteous way, the more charge that confuses things that will be in the field between you. So that's a little bit about what I have to say about boundaries. It's a huge topic.
0: I was under the impression I was like going hard with boundaries, right? I was going hard with boundaries, like boundaries, everyone needs boundaries. And then I realized, oh, wait, we really need to talk about what's happening inside of us to make, make us need the boundaries first and the patterns that occur, mm-hmm. because the patterns will tell us everything about anything that we experience. I'm so appreciative of your work. I hope everybody goes out there and finds this book. Thank you so much, Susan. We are so happy to have you on here. We hope you come back again to talk more about all of your amazing books because there's so many other ones I'm going to dive into, but this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining myself and listening to this podcast with Susan Campbell. If you like what you heard today, please like, and subscribe, go to my Instagram page, Evelyn Marley. You'll see me there. I'm constantly throwing up things on there, levity and light. I'm always trying to spread anything I can in terms of tools to help everyone. So that way that it can make their lives just a little bit easier, just a little bit, you know, because it's hard out there. There's ups and downs, but we can get through it together. So thank you again, and I will catch you on the next episode of Twisted Plot Podcast.